importer or exporter accounts. And, and it's really critical that if they don't have one, that they get one. Because that will, that's like, the, I think, one of the number one tools that a compliant company can use to monitor its imports and exports and discover any issue areas that need correcting. Before we get started with the show, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Global Training Center. As trade compliance professionals, you want to make sure that your procedures and documentation are completed as correctly as possible to avoid any delays and possible fines. We provide a range of trade compliance courses that will fit your needs. From in-person or web training to recorded on-demand courses, we can train one or even thousands on your team through your learning platform or on our portal. We can even customize a private session for your team. Go to globaltrainingcenter.com to find out more. And welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Happy New Year again. Uh, this is part two or episode two of the uh, 2023 uh, kickoff show with Adrian Braumiller and George Tuttle. Just as a quick reminder for everyone where we left off, uh, we did leave off on a discussion on part 111. Uh, this is a new uh, regulation, uh, but we are picking up here again uh, on that. Thank you all and uh, enjoy. And, and I guess the next question is, Andy, you know, has this been enforced, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you're talking about yeah. as far as the 111 type uh, scenarios? As far or as, what? As, as, far as uh, performing customs business in the U.S. Oh, yes. Okay. And I haven't really seen a whole lot on that, but I, I think it's coming. See, I wouldn't doubt that. I, I just, that that's, a, again, that's a scenario where, as, as we're talking through, I always like to try and say, okay, based on this discussion for our listeners, what's your takeaway? And again, the takeaway, remember what we suggested is having a meeting. It needs to be a very strategic meet, meeting, talking about your complete supply chain. At some point, you're going to need to also pull in, you know, your marketing efforts, your legal to say, you know, if there's certain things that you get to a certain point and say, okay, now I have a legal review from that. And I'm not just a general from a contract, although that comes into play, but from let me, a customs let me jump attorney, off on one more point. Yeah. Let yeah. me jump off on one more point. Cause it's really what Adrian brought up, but let's take it to a different level. Let's bring it right in to see how it impacts the importer, right? Yeah. And that's the concept of what is customs business versus what is a corporate compliance activity that's permissible versus customs business where you have a compliance team that's run out of your corporate headquarters and they are providing advice to subsidiaries or providing trade services to compliance services to subsidiaries. Is that permitted? Where's the line crossed? There's all sorts of problems with that um, because, you know, in customs business means helping somebody to prepare and file a customs entry, do the classific advise them on the classification, advise them on the ruling, the country of origin, the cu proper customs value. It can be responding to a CF-28. I was just doing that the other day for uh, a parent company that needed help with a CF-28 for their subsidiary. I said, well, you, you know, the law says, the broker regulations say that's customs business. You can't help them prepare it because that's providing customs business, right? right. Whereas a corporate compliance activity 
is kind of post in the post entry environment. So you can audit them. You can tell them, hey, you did this right. You did this wrong. But you can't tell them really for next week, this is how you have to classify your imported merchandise. That crosses the line. How many people? I got to say, though, the, to a point, I, I think you things are getting to in this scenario here, where look, wait a minute, we've lost, we're we're getting so bogged down in the bureaucratic things of this that it's like, wait a minute, what's the overall intent? You want that company, that function, that department to cross the T's, dot the I's, do it effectively. And then if we get hung up on, well, who can say it and who can't, it's like, are you kidding me? I'm going to run, I've got to run a business here. Right. Right. And I think, I think part of it is though, is the fact that, um, I mean, you can always act, every company can act on its own behalf. So that custom business can be performed on its own behalf. So, but it, it gets into, can you perform it on behalf of another entity that's another legal related related or not yeah Yeah, and that's that's when we get into these issues well all right so here let's play that out because i think that is a a great point but let's just say okay i've got a widget my sourcing department is out there and they they found a uh, manufacturer let's just say it's in vietnam for sake here and you know whatever the widget is, it's uh, pretty simple, nothing, you know, no FDA or extra licensing or anything like just a plain widget that comes in, it'll be classified and all that. Generally speaking, purchasing folks will find that source for whatever the widget markings out, you know, marketing the thing, sales is driving up orders, customer service starts taking those orders, they start getting into the pipeline. As it goes through, the compliance folks a lot of times are on the tail end of this thing. And so they're like, uh-huh. you know, they don't even know it's coming in. Mm-hmm. So it's like unfortunate. They go in, they try and look at it, classify it real quickly. But then for the future, you look at it and go, okay, the purchase order was issued on this. You told the vendor what to ship, where to ship it, when to ship it, and what to put on that paperwork so they get paid. But one of the key things from a compliance, this is the disconnect. So here's where I'm saying is like with purchasing's in sync with the compliance is that you didn't put the classification on there. You didn't put the proper country. This is how we want you to classify. This is a harmonized tariff number that, I, uh, that we want you to use. Question I've got, you're, if, if you put that on the purchase order up front and say all that, is here here you go initially that would be considered i assume customs business because i'm giving you the classification or here's the after effect it was not on the original purchase order now i'm going to instruct my vendor i want this classified using this harmonized tariff number and that needs to be on the paperwork there's there's a lot packed into that adrian um i you know so the way i'm looking at it is if you are instructing the supplier because you've done the classification and you've identified all of the key uh, compliance issues around what's going to be put in the entry, I, I think that's okay because you're driving your own import and the compliance yep. of your own import. What's What wouldn't be okay, let me change your facts, is if okay. you were uh, an importer. Let me think. I'm trying to remember this. Let's see. Example. Um, I got one for you. How about this? Okay, you do it. You do it. Okay. 
Uh, I'm a big corporation. I have lots of retail stores. Mm -hmm. I'm going to source from a U.S. perspective. So when I'm buying the goods, I'm buying it. You vendor. Oh, that you just brought up a whole new set of problems. <laughs> you you source it wherever you want, but here we go. It's like here's what I've seen. You know, you source it wherever you want, but now when it comes in. I, I want you to classify it this way. I want you to do something, so, but yet it, the importer record is the vendor, not the the retail establishment, not the big store. That I think has crossed the line. I yeah, <clears throat> I know. Well, I, I know there's... like that that latest ruling, George. Uh, yeah, Hampton. Hampton. The Hampton. Ruling. Yeah, where they're telling their customers how to classify. Well, they didn't tell them Customer? how to classify. I'm the customer said it, right. it was a, it was how how do you classify it? And Hampton said we suggest that's you could, good. That's a thank <laughs> we you. Suggest you could use this classification, right? And and Hampton asked whether it was permissible to do that, and Customs was. said no. It's I, they kind of wiffle waffled on it, but <laughs> they basically said no, you can't do that. Um, even if you use a disclaimer, uh, right. is that going to go on? You know, there's there's a couple of things that are associated with that because yeah. first of all, if if the importer's customs broker is looking, this is what customs did say. If the importer's customs broker is looking at that tariff classification and signing off on it, saying, "Yeah, we we looked at this, we think this is the correct tariff classification," then it's permissible, right? So, right, that's true. You know, there's okay. some complexities to that, and and I don't want to. I mean, the whole DDP importation using a non-resident importer, which is the issue that Andy brought up, has so many different complexities to it, right. along with imports under Section, you know, um, three twenty one and the right. value. Mm -hmm. Those are those are many more issues that are going to be affecting us and impacting us in 2023 right. that, you know, we would spend a whole nother hour talking about. Well, let me, uh, let me hang on a second. There, there's one element though that I have seen happen many, many, many times. And that is, it wasn't a DDP transaction. It was what, what was happening is the, the big box store. I'll, I'll say it that way. Yeah was buying their goods from their vendors. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I want a thousand widgets. Sure. And whatever. It's like, okay, fine. I'm buying from you as a domestic transaction. How you get it, where you get it, it's up to you. That's fine. But then as yeah. things went progressed, they were like, hey, we've got a little bit of a delay in our manufacturing because of transportation and because of this or whatever. And they started revealing that, well, this is manufactured in XYZ country. And now all of a sudden the box store started saying, well, hey, we want to make sure that you're classifying it a certain way or doing something. And it's like, wait a minute, you're not even part of the international transaction. But no, since no, they're, they're the big 800-pound gorilla. Are, no, they are the one that's facing the, you know, the outward flack. Mm -hmm. um, if something goes wrong. So for example, I just have a, an, an issue come up 
were a big box store, just the example, and I won't say who they are, but they told the supplier, you need to get a country of origin ruling from U.S. Customs before we'll accept, before we'll approve this purchase agreement, because we want to make sure that Customs agrees that it's not subject to anti-dumping duty, it's not subject to 301 duties, you know, all of these different things. So the box store is trying to be, you know, trying to implement that. They're trying to do their corporate compliance, right? Yeah, they're trying to exercise due diligence from They're driving the bus, yeah. Okay. That's what they're trying to do, you know, and the same thing with tariff classification, right? So they're not necessarily there because they're worried about perhaps a situation where their supplier is going to use the wrong tariff classification. And that's been an issue in the past. I know a lot of there's been some nefarious things, as we could talk about, uh, with regard to uh, non-resident importers and kind of fraud in the import process using DDP. But I think that's what's behind it. Um, <clears throat> so I think asking for your supplier to get a ruling is not a bad thing. It's not. It's um, a great idea. Yeah. All right. Oh, so I that's think. that's again from a from a compliance perspective. Actually, you bring up a good point because you don't want to cross the line of trying to influence how your vendor is literally processing a transaction. With the exception being, hey, when it's delivered to me, I'm looking at that. It would be appropriate to say, hey, get a ruling on this. Let's make sure that this product, and like you just said, the country of origin, everything's going to be fine because we don't want to get hit after the fact for some kind of anti-dumping case or something. Let me bring up just one more thing, and, and I think Adrian will like this one too. This gets back to our discussion of forced labor. Many of the big retail organizations, the you know, the Walmarts, the Costco's, the Lowe's, the Home Depot's, if I can use yeah. their names yeah. for, for our sake of our example, are CTPAT right. uh, participants. Right. And the CTPAT program has now rolled out some new requirements that every CTPAT um, uh, company has to abide by, and that's implement a forced labor compliance program, right. including supply chain tracing. Right. So again, even if that big box store isn't necessarily the one that's doing the importing, mm-hmm. they may interpret this as, and customs may interpret this as a requirement that they have to validate that supply chain and make sure that there's no forced labor in the product production or in the assembly process or in any of the materials. It's very, very far reaching. And this is the issue that we're going to be dealing in in 2023. Um, And companies have to be, think about how they are going to implement that program. Adrian, any thoughts? I mean, yeah, I think part part of the issue with trying to do an entire tracing, which you need to try, right? You need to right. do what the best you can to trace the entire supply chain. Are are the the laws that China has in place that are contradictory to what we are doing, right? So they conflict. Right. Right. Um and so so I think all of this, the the C T PAT requirement, the legal requirement of making sure there's no forced labor. 
it's a very difficult and complicated undertaking that will be frustrating and sometimes not um, effective. I mean, it has to be done. There's no way around it. It has to be done. It's just how do we navigate uh, the fact that there are these Chinese laws that prevent our, the, the supplier from actually um, complying with our request for an audit, for example. You know, so I think the way that works, yeah, I, I think the way that works is, is, you know, that's further decoupling from China. Right. Maybe you have to turn to Mexico for your supply chain. Exactly. Um, and, and when you turn to your supply chain in Mexico, it's like, okay, now you have to tell me where you're sourcing this. Mm-hmm. And, if they say, well, we're sourcing it from China, you have to say, no, you can't because we can't explore that supply chain. You know, you, you have to sur- source your cotton from India. You have to you know, source your cotton from Egypt right. um, and, and other regions in the world. You have to take command of it. Right. When I started in this business back in the 70s, I know that doesn't <laughs> seem that long ago, right? All the, you know, we, we focused our business in, in the Silicon Valley area, every computer chip, every computer company, um, every electronics company knew their supply chain. They knew where each piece, each material came from because they were managing it. And slowly over the years, what happened is foreign companies grew up into conglomerates. They knew how to do things. And so we kind of lost that touch with our supply chain. We would just go out. You can go out on the internet and you can buy things Mm -hmm. that are made in foreign countries and have them shipped to the U.S. using express carriers. It's door-to-door. It's seamless. You don't know anything about the background of that product. And that's the problem. And that's what we have to get back to. We have to get back to getting our hands on the source of that product, where it came from. Be, otherwise, we're going to run into problems when we try to import it because we don't know if it's compliant or not. Hey, everyone. We're getting ready for another annual ICPA event coming up the week of March 12th in Orlando, Florida. If you have been thinking of attending any of the ICPA conferences, this is the one you should not miss. There will be more sessions than any other conference with a guaranteed sell-off. So hurry and get your tickets today. We are also excited to share that Simply Trade podcast will be in the attendance and we want you to be part of our show. Listen to episodes 14, 15, and 16 to find out why you can't miss this conference. All right, let me shift gears a little bit on this is that as you're talking about it, we need to know where that's at. The other part of it that we haven't really talked much about, and that is, again, the vetting process of your vendors, those kinds of things, but also your customers, who are you doing business with, who are you buying from, but also who are you selling to? So in that realm, do you see in 2023 any type of enforcement activities on um, the government going in and trying to see, are you vetting appropriately the denied party screening type things and restricted party screening and uh, those kinds of things, especially with the Russia's Russia's sanctions and other things around the world. I hope I'm really understanding your question, Andy, but, um, but I think, yes, that screening of the restricted parties list is critical to ensure 
compliance and avoiding massive penalties. Yeah. I don't, uh, yeah. that, that's a hard question. Um, there used to be a time when uh, BIS and the Office of Export Enforcement had a very active audit, regulatory auditing program, I'll say, where they would proactively go out and, and audit companies for internal controls and export compliance and things like that. Uh, we don't really see that the same way we see that in customs nowadays, right? Um, with uh, export enforcement and auditing, it's more a, uh, a the company triggers an audit by having a violation, then regulatory audit, the Office of Export Enforcement will come in and do a compliance audit um, and and look to look to those factors. Uh, about whether or not they have, they're actively screening. No company is required to have, legally required to have a screening program. No. If you violate the regulations by doing business with a restricted party or a sanctioned party, and the government has very good investigation capabilities to determine if that's happening. What I would say is I think a lot of the, the, um, activity around enforcement uh, regarding those parties comes in the form of subpoenas. So a lot of it is investigative uh, subpoenas. um, And we've had a lot of those this past year, quite a few. Um, And so, and and many of the parties that are being investigated end up on the denied parties list. Mm -hmm. So there is, there is enforcement around it, but it's not like, you know, an exporter, Hey, you fit, you, you did business with this party. Well, there are those, there certainly are those penalties, but to, to George's point, it's, it's, um, it's not so much that there's an audit there. It, it just comes up in other ways, you know, and so, well, if, you so don't some, have, is, if you don't have some kind of software in place, how do you know that you're doing business? Right. Well, right. That, and that's well, where I was going to go is that I, I hadn't thought about it, uh, uh, George, but to your point, is it's a proactive move. There's not a requirement to do it, but I mean, if you violate that, then that's when you, they, that's the tip of the iceberg kind of thing. So it's right. more of a proactive yep. thing. Lilo, you were going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, because of the sanctions that are obviously increasing more and more, um, there's more shell companies. We just heard that late in 2022, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you think you're doing business with someone that is not selling to Russians or whatever, you know? And so, I mean, that, that point, I mean, it gets hard for the mom and pop, not that there's any mom and pop shops making high advanced uh, lasers or anything, but you know, uh, but you know, don't, don't you see your, your, your mistake right there is thinking it has to be high end lasers. It doesn't have to be. You're right. You're right. Under the Russian sanctions, if we look at OFAC sanctions, it's it it's doing business within the prohibited industry, mm-hmm. oil and gas. It's doing business with oligarchs. Um, right. It's buying high end luxury goods. They don't don't just interpret export control nowadays right. as you know being high tech because 
It's not. It's yeah. dealing with yeah. OFAC sanctions and sanctioned parties. Oh, yeah, it could be. Uh, you can be. It could be prohibited because of the end use. It can be prohibited because of the end user. It doesn't have yeah. to be uh, even uh, on the commerce control list. It can be mm -hmm. an EAR ninety nine item and still have issues, right? Uh, prohibiting yeah. it because of these. All right. So here, items. let me throw this at you: Is what do you recommend? As far as in this new year, what would be from a leadership perspective? Compliance is also going to be one of these questions that comes into play. Um, but from an executive leadership type perspective, y'all's you know legal background and what you've seen and ba basically being that proverbial pooper scooper at the end of the parade, cleaning up somebody else's mess. As you've gone in and with all that kinds of experience, what do you recommend for these leaders to, uh, to, I guess, start off and do to help, uh, you know, keep them out of trouble in 2023? Can I, can I start with this? Cause that's a great question. Yeah. You need to listen to your supply chain team. You need to listen to your compliance team and that's ask excellent. them, what do we need to do? Mm -hmm. And, and listen to them. And then once they tell you, once they make some suggestions to you, give them the resources to implement it. Right. The two things. That's the simplest I thing. Totally, that totally. As a management executive, you can do. You don't need to understand these rules. No. You need to trust the people that you've hired right. to understand these rules and let them do your job, their job to protect your company. Yeah, because I think the problem is a lot of times if the if the particular issue is one that, you know, means that there's a lot less business or revenue coming into the company. Um, you, you may say, boy, that's unpopular. And I don't want to be the one that um, yeah. is involved in shutting down the business. But, you know, obviously, um, that's the point of compliance. That's why you have a compliance team is to ensure that the company uh, is not running afoul of the laws. And, you know, just because I, I think it's a situation of you have to be careful that the bottom line doesn't color decisions that are need to be made to ensure compliance. Right. Agree. So that, all right. So, all right, here's one other then let's talk about the compliance folks is what should, would you recommend they do now before they get called upon to attend a meeting or whatever? What would you recommend the leader, manager, director of a compliance area of a company do in preparation for 2023? I, <laughs> I was going to let Adrian go first. I mean, honestly, um, and you, you mentioned it earlier, George, I think a risk assessment. I mean, if you haven't done any kind of uh, risk assessment or review of the past year's entries, some kind of post-entry review uh, or post-shipment, if it's exports, th that would be a good thing to do. Um, and mm -hmm. you, you can take the ACE data also and come up with a risk assessment, right? Hey, I didn't know we had items from 
that are being imported now from China. I always thought everything came from Mexico. Where did that come from? Right. Um, oh, I didn't know that we were claiming USMCA. I never said to do that. And I'm the compliance <laughs> person. How did that happen? So, so definitely, I think a lot of really good compliance people do this as a routine course, but, but there are still a lot of companies out there that don't have uh, ACE importer or exporter accounts. And, and it's really critical that if they don't have one, that they get one. Because that will, that's like the, I think one of the number one tools that a compliant company can use to monitor its imports and exports and discover any issue areas that need correcting. Yeah, I think uh, to kind of expand on that, I think companies, many companies, not, not all companies, but many companies kind of offload their compliance function to their customs broker, thinking their customs broker is going to keep them out of trouble. And generally, the customs broker is viewing the relationship with the broker as one where I'm going to take this commercial invoice, this airway bill, this bill of lading, I'm going to take that information, not question it, and use it to complete the customs entry and file that entry electronically not questioning the tariff classification, not questioning the value. So I think that for 2023, compliance people need to bring that compliance responsibility home, Mm -hmm. learn Mm -hmm. what their job is. You know, I answer a lot of ICPA questions and I got to tell you, I absolutely (laughs) love it. It's, it's, I won't say this, but it's kind of fun for me to do it. I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I notice is that a lot of people are asking questions in the ICPA that the answers are all found with a little bit of research, a little bit of, if I can say, you know, Googling searches or something like that, being familiar with customs websites and the frequently asked questions, you can zero right into that answer. So I think compliance people need to take a little bit more time learn about what resources are really available to them to learn about what's out there and how they can better protect their company. Well, especially becoming proficient with the, just with not only with what you're saying and being familiar where it's not having it in memory going, Oh yeah, this regulation is this, or this is, you know, where it's knowing where to go to research and find the answer. And also to Adrian's point, you better have somebody proficient in your with your ACE account. You better get an ACE account if you don't already mm-hmm. have one and get proficient on that. And that's, well, actually, quite frankly, that's some of the stuff that, you know, Lalo, I, I'm, you, you know, the training, <laughs> the basic training, get your staff trained. And that's where you're, yeah. obviously, you come into play uh, to get your staff, uh, again, uh, the, the knowledge and the skills uh, up to speed. Right. And I was going to say also, uh, I come from a technology background, as probably a lot of people already know, you know, and I spent 25 years selling software for trade. Um, And I know it hurts a lot, but don't you think that it's also a good time for people to review their software solution instead of sticking with what they have? I mean, it may not even be uh, compliant or not. I don't mean compliant, but it might not be addressing their needs. I mean, I've seen it a lot in the past where a software solution when we used to be called in and and they realized that, I don't know, uh, I mean, for whatever reason, something wasn't 
it doesn't calculate or, or do things correctly and and they they it hurts to change software solutions but you know it it, it, it it'll benefit you you have to be careful i i've seen people take what was a software that was really built to help with export controls try to alter it and and bend it into something that would help with customs mm -hmm. and it never really did get there and i know the company spent like a million dollars on this <laughs> and I, yeah. I said to myself, why did you go to this software that's really great at exports and try to make it work for imports? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you have to look at what are the bells and whistles that I need that will help me, but also understanding that even software uh, can, every now and then there can be some kind of gap in what the software does or the information it provides. So we have seen situations like with screening software where certain information didn't get in there in time before somebody uh, consummated an order that they shouldn't have. So, mm -hmm. well, you know, the, the, the funny thing about screening software, it's only good as what you set up the parameters, right? Exactly. If, right. if you are, if your screening software is only looking at, at, at Roman characters or, you know, if it's not looking at Cyrillic, if it's not looking at Chinese characters and Chinese names and addresses, that's no good. Right. Um, you know, so you have to think about, I knew one company that every time they came across a, 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 a per online purchase, a software purchase that was in, you know, non, non U.S. characters, I'll say that, um, um, Arabic characters, um, they would just ignore it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and that's a problem. Well, listen, we have uh, been, we can keep talking and I, I know that we need to wrap up here. So it's, uh, uh, is there anything that normally we'll say, you know, if you could talk to your, uh, your 21 year old self, what would you say? But let me throw it this way. Is that. Become a be veterinarian. There, there you go. Hey, buddy, it's like if I had it to do over, I'd be a, a, a rancher out somewhere and and, uh, yeah. and be a veterinarian myself. So um, any last uh, key thing that you think would be an important thing to focus on for 2023? I feel like we covered a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. we right? sure did. We, it was like, you I guys are like, phenomenal. I feel like we, caught, we covered major topics. We talked about... Uh, we haven't robust, talked about shipping yet, but oh, we haven't yeah. talked about shipping, but yeah, robust <laughs> internal controls, um, country of origin, all the good things we've right. talked about it. I can't think of anything else, but, but you wanted to say something about shipping, George, or no? No, that's a whole different topic. Although okay. there's okay. expected to be another shipping crunch coming up, uh, this year, yeah. Yeah. Um, with, yeah. with China. So maybe, you know, booking your cargo is going to be a real big problem again. Uh, like we had no, in the no. uh, That's the prediction. Uh, but I mean, I think, I mean, if we were going to wrap things up again, I would, I would think about for the C-suite folks, um, you need to trust your compliance people, ask them, what do they think we need to do? And, and what's the risk to us if we don't, so you can prioritize things. And then trust them to uh, to implement a program that will take care of that compliance risk, whatever it may be. And for the compliance people, 
I would say you need to be aware of what your key risks are, whether it's country of origin, whether it's anti-dumping and diversion, which gets back to country of origin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, you know, whether it's Chinese sanctions, whether it's your supply chain, uh, whether it's your export issues, you know, you be you. your job is to be knowledgeable and aware of how those things will impact your company. And network within your company because you can't do it on your own. You got you to, cannot. You, you got to be a team right. player. And again, that comes down from the C-suite, right? When we talk about creating internal controls, you have to have somebody at the top that can tell your director of per- that can discuss with your director of purchasing. <laughs> hey, we need to be aware of these compliance issues. You need to work with the compliance team. Don't shut them out. Right. Well, listen, Adrian and George, you two, I just, I love you to death. You're both so fantastic. You're just a pleasure to always be around. I always love to get to, to catch up with you. I know, Lalo, you're probably in the same boat, but thank you so yeah. much for a fantastic Well, thank you, Andy and Lalo show. and George. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all. It was fun to do this. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure that you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situation. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.